0: Hello friends, welcome to Readem and Weep. It me, your esteemed host Sammy, and we are going to do a minimal amount of pussyfooting around in this episode. We're going to get right into it. As always, we are going to go over two hands that I played, one hand that I played really well, one hand that I played really bad, and these hands come from Casino Matrix in the South Bay area. I don't play there that often, but I like the card room, really cool looking place, and had some fun hands to play down there. So, We are playing two, three, five, and we're sitting down. We're in middle position under the gun, limps for five bucks. And he's clearly a recreational player. He's only been there like five, 10 minutes, but you can already tell like the way he looks, the way he talks, all this stuff, the way he handles his chips, clearly a recreational player. Uh, He's under the gun. He limps for five and it folds around to us in middle position. And we look down at pocket jacks. We like it. We like it. We like it a lot. We raise it to 25, as we should. Now a player behind us in late position calls the 25, and it folds back around to the the under-the-gun limper, and now he limp-re-raises to 75. And I fucking hate it. This is just so brutal. Uh, And the reason is is because when players limp-re-raise, like literally 99% of the time, they have a big hand. The reason you don't see very many like professional level players do this is because it's really hard to have a balanced limp re-raising range, right? Okay, so I'm going to limp with, you know, aces and kings and limp re-raise them, but you know, I'm also going to do it with some bluffs, etc., cetera, et cetera, It's really hard to balance that with your regular opens. And so most players to simplify their strategy, just open raise all their playable hands, but rex recreational players love the limp race And so this guy does it and they always do it with big hands and they always do it from early position. So when, when I pocket jacks here, I just hate it. I just hate it because I can't four bet here, be, even though I want to, because there's a player behind me. I don't want to play this hand multi-way, not with position, but I can't four it because the under the gun limp re-raiser obviously has a big hand. I don't want to fold it because folding pocket jacks pre-flop for, you know, 50 more bucks after I've already put in 25, I'm getting better than two to one is just a terrible idea. Uh, and I don't want to play the hand. So I, I just hate the whole situation. But of course I call because how can I fold? And fortunately the late position caller gets out of the way. So we go heads up me and the under the gun limpre razor. The flop comes a terrible flop for me. I just hate it so much. It's nine, five, five rainbow. And it's like, God damn it all. You know, I, I was hoping an ace flopped or a king flopped so I could just dump the hand and move on. But when I flop an over pair, I obviously have to stick around for anything reasonable. And the guy does see bet, but he does make it reasonable. He bets 75 into 175, so less than half pot. And I, you know, I want to fold. Like my plan was like to hit a jack or just get out if any serious money went in. but Obviously for this price, I can't fold. I just, I just hate it so much though. But there obviously is a chance that this guy has ace king. There obviously is a chance that this guy has something like pocket tens and I'm actually good. So I certainly can't fold for this price. So we're going to continue, but we're going to tread lightly. It's nine, five, five rainbow. I call the 75 and now the turn falls in offsuit eight. So it's nine five five eight. I have pocket jacks. I have this dude pegged for a big pair, bigger than mine in most, in most situations. And now he bets 75 again, this fucking douche canoe. I, I can't believe this. Like I have to call again, but I just like, no, I'm beat. You know what I mean? It's just so brutal, but I, I'm certainly calling. He's betting less than a quarter pot and I have to fold even though I, I or I have to call even though I want to fold. If this guy would just not be a cuckweasel and put in a legitimate bet, I could just get out of this damn hand, but I can't do it. I call the 75 again on the turn. The river is about to peel and I start putting all my energy into the dealer flipping over a jack. I'm like, jack, jack. I just willing it into existence. Jack, jack. Come on, universe. Give it to me. Give it to me. And of course, it's not a jack at all but it is an interesting card. It's a nine, it's an offsuit nine pairing the top card. So it's nine, five, five, eight, nine. And I look at it for a second and I, I start looking at it and I think, oh yeah, the, the devil inside me that has evil intentions starts waking up and he's like, oh baby, we know it's coming here. And the reason is, is because this card is so much better for my range than it is for his. The way I'm looking at his range, he has no nines in his hand. He has no nines in his range ever, right? He's got pocket tens or better, sometimes ace-king. That's, that's what he has 99% of the time. Whereas the way that this hand has been played, I can have a lot of nines. I would play 10-9 suited this way. I'd play 8-9 suited this way. I'd play 9-7 suited this way or jack-9 suited or ace-9 suited. Maybe if I was feeling frisky, maybe some queen-nine or king-nine suited. I don't know. The possibilities are endless. But the point is, I have so many more nines in my range the way this hand's been played than he does. And of course, this dude bets 75 again. Unbelievable. He limp re-raised to 75. He bets 75 on the flop. He bets 75 on the turn. He bets 75 on the river. Jesus H. Christ. This bet is 75 now into a pot of 475. It's less than one-sixth of the pot. And so certainly I can call here. And over the long term, this is going to be a plus EV call, right? Sometimes, again, he will show up with pocket tens and I'll win. Sometimes he'll have a hand like ace king and just not have been able to put in a big boy bluff. And I win the pot. But I really, really think this is a cool opportunity to make a big bluff. And the reason is, is, is the reason I just stated. It's because this card... Is so much better for me than him. Think of it from his perspective. If he's got a hand like Pocket Kings, this hand is just, so, this card is just so sick. This is the card he didn't want to see on the river, like the one card he didn't want to see, and it came. And so he makes this little small blocker value bet. And I just go, yeah, dude, we're, we're getting it on. Like, we're going to see what you're made of. And we know what he's made of, right? We know exactly where he's had. His hand is basically flipped over. So he bets 75, and I jam it all in for 675. And he's just starts getting blue around the gills. He starts gulping, clearly frustrated. He picks up his hands. He starts flicking his cards with his middle finger. And you know what's coming next. Like When they start flicking their, their cards with the middle finger, you know that beautiful muck is coming next. And he does muck the hand and he flips over pocket queen's face up. Boom. We get it through. And I thought this was a really cool bluff. Number one, because you rarely have the opportunity to turn an overpair into the bluff. You know, like like I mentioned a couple episodes ago, you don't want to turn hands with strong showdown value into bluffs. Hardly ever. It's theoretically incorrect. Because you're wasting the good showdown value of your hand By turning it into a bluff. That's not a good bluff candidate. You want to generally use hands that have terrible showdown value for your bluffs. But in this case, because his range was so thin and so transparent, it just provided a great opportunity to do so. The other reason is because it was just a really cool spot to understand how much better this card was for my range than his, and then be able to act on it. And I think that this happens when you're really in the moment when you're really feeling and thinking and just understanding what's going on in a, in a very kind of focused and present way. And I was able to do this in this hand, right? It's one thing to be able to recognize how much better of a card this is for you. And then another thing to understand the right thing to do is pull the trigger. Let's, let's do it and have the gumption to just stick it all in. And you know, one of the things I talk about is I don't play as many hands pre-flop as most people. I don't consider myself a tight player, but like relative to the player pool, I'm definitely tighter than the average player in terms of how many hands I play. But I want to play fewer hands at a higher intensity. And I think this was a good example of playing a hand at a high intensity. Like what that means to me is every time I enter a pot, I'm trying to think of how can I win this hand? Whether I flop something good or whether I flop something bad, I'm looking at every opportunity for a good card for me or a bad card for them or a, a chink in the armor with what they're doing that can allow me to win the pot. Even if I have nothing, which again is is kind of the opposite of what most players do. Most players try to see a lot of cheap flops and make big hands and then magically get paid off. And for me, that's just not how you win money at poker. So I was very happy that I saw the play. I was able to make it. I thought it was a really cool spot. And just like a couple episodes Ago, where I turn the top pair of aces with a shite kicker into a bluff. This was a very rare opportunity to take a hand that has solid showdown value and turn it into a bluff simply because we're able to range the opponent so narrowly and, and understand just that he only has a couple of hands here and, and how we can best take advantage of them. So allow myself to congratulate myself, Obama putting a medal on himself dot meme. We're extremely pleased with ourselves. Uh, but only for a short time because in the next hand, we are not so pleased with ourselves. Stay tuned. All right, hand two. We are playing the same session. We're still at Matrix. It is a couple hours later than the first hand. And in this hand, we're still playing two, three, five. The cutoff, who is the main villain in this hand, he limps for five. He open limps for five. Super hopeless, but he does it. The button, who's also a terrible player, he calls five. And now it gets to me in the small blind. These two players that limped both have about 800 in front of them. I cover them both. And I look down in the small blind at ace 10 of clubs. And I decide to raise it up. I think it's a great hand to raise. I generally don't raise as much from the blinds over limpers as most players do because you're going to have to end up playing the rest of the hand out of position. And I hate doing that. I generally don't think it's worth bloating pots when you're going to play the pot out of position. So I usually reserve this for really good hands and then the occasional bluff. So usually I will literally just complete here with hands like, you know, queen jack suited or king jack suited or king queen offsuit. But ace 10 of clubs is just good enough for a raise, especially from, from these yokels behind me. So I raise it up to 30. And now the big blind cold calls the 30. And now both limpers call the 30. And we freaking hate it. It's just so brutal to play a hand four ways at a position with like the worst position possible. But we get a really good flop. We get a 9-8 deuce with two clubs. The 9-8 of clubs deuce flop. We love it. We have flopped the nut flush draw and a backdoor straight draw with two overcards. Hallelujah. There is about 120 in the pot, and I bet 70, uh, hoping to fold out the field. And if not, I have a ton of equity. The big blind calls the 70. The cutoff calls the 70. And thankfully, the button folds. So we get rid of one guy. But two players have now called our bet. And we are looking at the dealer and hoping he flips over a club. Of course, he doesn't do it. But it does come a good card for us. It comes the jack of hearts. So 9-8 deuce with two clubs, jack of hearts. And the jack of hearts with our ace-ten of clubs now gives us an open-ended straight draw to go with our nut flush draw. We like it. But I decide to check here. And the reason I decide to check is because we got two calls on the flop. And while the jack of hearts is a good card for our specific hand, it's also a very good card for the types of hands that these guys are going to be calling the flop with. You know, the jack interacts interacts very well with the board. So we're going to see them pick up a lot of top pairs when they had a draw or a lot of draws when they had a pair. And they're going to end up with a lot of pair plus, plus draws. Now, not always. Occasionally, you know, someone in this situation will have just a weak pair of eights or a weak pair of nines that they'll fold out here. But if it was heads up, we we might continue barreling. But with two players in it, it's just very unlikely that both players have hands that this jack, they don't like it. And they're going to fold out. So I actually decide to check here. Now the big blind checks and it gets around to our straightforward Friend in the cutoff. Uh, We've been playing with this guy for a couple of hours. He has been, like I said, playing very straightforward, very ABC, not bluffing a lot, just kind of playing his hands and, you know, betting when he's got it and folding when he doesn't. And he's got about 620 behind at this point, and he bets 200 into the pot of 330. And now we have a pretty big decision. Obviously, with the nut flush draw and an open and straight draw, we're not folding the hand. So is it better to just call here and see what happens, or is it better to raise? And I think, you know what? This guy very rarely flopped a big hand. And the reason is, is because, again, the flop was 9-8 deuce. This guy open limped from the cutoff. So he very rarely has 9s or 8s. So he doesn't have those sets. Could he have pocket deuces or 9-8 suited and, and, or 9-8 offsuit even? and flop top two pair? Yeah, but I think those hands almost always raise the flop when it's 9-8 deuce with two clubs and multiple people have already showed interest. Very rarely would you want to give those other players a a cheap look at the turn. You'd want to raise immediately. So I just don't think he flopped a, a good hand. Could the Jack have improved his hand in some way? Obviously, he's saying yes, but I think a lot of times, at best, he really only has one pair here. And even if I jam and he calls, buddy, I got plenty out. Sammy's going to be fine. So I decide to jam it. I stuff for 620 bucks effective total. The big blind now gets out of the way. It gets back to the cutoff, and he snap calls. And, man, I just have this sinking feeling in my stomach, you guys. It's like it is the worst feeling in poker when you try to fire off a big bluff And you just get immediately snap called. It's just such a brutal feeling. So we're praying for a club on the river and it does not come. Uh, It's an offsuit eight. We sheepishly show our useless ass ace high and the cutoff shows queen 10 of hearts for the turned gutter ball nut straight. And now for five minutes, we have to watch him stack all our chips. It's just very brutal situation. So it was a very unlucky card on the turn, right? To, to give him the gutter ball and that straight. You know, ace 10 of clubs on this 9-8 deuce 2-2 two, two club flop is like an 80% favorite, 80-20 favorite over queen 10 of hearts. Um, I think the deuce was a heart, so he had a back for a flush draw. But I'm like a 4-1 to one favorite. So obviously it was a really unlucky card on the turn. But honestly, that's kind of bullshit. And, and, and I'll tell you why. In the first hand, a really lucky card came on the river and we were very present and aware of it in the moment and we were able to take advantage of it. In this hand, a very unlucky card came on the turn and we didn't adapt. We didn't change our priors. And my prior was that he really didn't have a good hand on the flop. And that was true. But I didn't really recognize in the moment how unlucky of a card, how bad of a card for me this jack was on the turn and I lost all my money for it. Now, this is not the only street I misplayed, although I think it was the most egregious misplay. I think I misplayed multiple streets in this hand. So let's, uh, as painful as it is, let's break it down. My decision pre-flop to raise the ace 10 of clubs after the from the small blind after the cutoff and the button, both open limped. I think that decision is fine, but I think my raise size is far too small. I only raised it six X. I raised it to 30 after these guys had limped for five. And I already talked about how I raise a really polarized range in this specific situation. So my sizing should reflect that polarized range. And instead it didn't, even though you can say, oh yeah, six X is, you know, a big raise. It's not. It's five bucks to 30 bucks. And these guys, you know, most recreational players are thinking in absolute money. They're not really thinking in big blinds or anything like that. I'm just incentivizing this hand to go multi-way where I have the worst fucking position on the table. And that's exactly what happened. I ended up going four ways because I raised too small. I think a raise to 40 or 45 here is more than appropriate. It gets the folds I want. Um, It polarizes my range, et cetera, et cetera. So I screwed up pre-flop. You know, I also don't really like the way I played the flop. You know, I led out into a field of three other people. I had a really good hand, but I talked on the last episode and I made a cool check raise um, in a somewhat similar situation. And I think this hand actually plays much better as a check raise than a straight lead out. And the reason is this. If you lead right out, you can get a bunch of calls and then you're just bloating a pot out of position and hoping you hit. But when you check, sometimes it checks through and you get to see the turn card for free and then make a better decision based on that. Or if somebody bets, you can use this hand as a check raise and you can actually fold out all sorts of hands that that you might not be able to fold out with just betting out. The other thing is sometimes there will be hands that put in money that wouldn't even put in money if you had bet right out. Think of a hand like, I, I don't know, like pocket sixes or pocket fives. Say the cutoff has a hand like that. You know, I check and the big blind checks and, you know, gets around to the cutoff. And he says, well, you know, everybody's checked. Maybe I'll just bet here for protection. I think everybody missed. And then I check, raise and take it. Whereas with that same kind of hand, he would actually just fold to a bet straight up. So I think check raising actually accomplishes a whole lot more than just leading out. I think it would have been a cool play. um, And I missed the opportunity. And then, I mean... Let's just talk about the egregious misplay on the turn. I talked about how I didn't think this guy flopped a big hand, and I think all that logic was true. But jamming was a terrible, terrible play for a ton of reasons. I mean, number one, I told you this guy was really straightforward. When this guy bets a third of a stack, he's got it. He's got it. I didn't adjust. I didn't realize how bad, how unlucky of a card that Jack was. It really is such a bad card for me and a helpful card for him. He can have all sorts of hands that really benefited. He can have the hand that he has, which turned the nuts straight. He can have Jack 10, um, which might not fold to a jam because he bet a third of his stack. And then he can also have Jacks that have a flush draw. He can have... Queen Jack of Clubs or King Jack of Clubs or Jack Seven of Clubs or Jack Deuce of Clubs. I don't know what the fuck this guy's playing. He's playing all sorts of crap. He opened them from the cutoff. So he can absolutely have hands like that. And those are never folding to a jam. He could have Jack Nine suited or Jack Eight suited that turn two pair. In the moment, I really didn't respect how good of a card this could be for him. I just thought about on the flop, we didn't have a great hand on the flop and I really didn't adjust. And that was a really bad job by me because this guy, by betting a third of his stack, by betting 200 bucks on the turn, this straightforward ass player, he was telling me, bro, I got it. And I wasn't listening and I lost all my money. The play was just to call the 200 and see if I hit on the river. And I didn't. And I fold in an alternate reality and I saved myself 420 bucks, 84 big blinds. Instead, in this iteration of reality, I donked off 420 bucks. Unfucking believable. Fire me to the sun. It's just a terribly played hand by me. Across multiple streets, it's not that often that you can screw a hand up like three ways till Sunday. I figured out how to do it here. I'm the donkey boy. Such a donkey. He fucking ha. Well, Tough scene for your hero. Such is life. We will learn from it and we will regroup. And I I just want to throw this out there, you guys. Uh, I I really appreciate everyone tuning in. I appreciate all the feedback I'm getting. I actually got a really cool DM from a listener this last week who suggested a slight tweak to the format of the show that I thought was really cool. I don't know quite how to implement it, so I'm kind of workshopping it. But, you know, the reality is, is... I'm still pretty new at this, right? I'm still trying to figure out the flow of this podcast. I'm still trying to make it better. And any input you guys give me is great. I was definitely inspired to start doing this podcast by a couple of solo pods that I listen to religiously. Uh, Adam Levitan of Establish the Run does this really awesome solo pod every Tuesday. Uh, JJ Zacharyson does a solo pod, uh, the Late Round Podcast. These are both fantasy or sports centric podcasts, but I I love those podcasts. And it was really kind of the, the inspiration for me starting this solo poker podcast. The thing I didn't realize is how freaking hard it is to do a solo pod. Like I've done a ton of podcasts in my life and all of them have had multiple people on it. And those are kind of easy because you just like BS with people, you throw things off of each other, you engage in conversation, it's great. When you're doing a solo pod, it's just you. You're just sitting here talking for 15, 20, 25 minutes. And if you screw up, like there's nowhere to hide. So it's, uh, it, it's a lot harder than I thought. And uh, and I hope I'm doing a good job. But like I said, all input is is really appreciated and welcome. You can shoot me a DM if you want at Sammy Reed FI. And again, I'd really appreciate it. If uh, you like the podcast, subscribe to it. Leave me a review if you got 23 seconds. It'd be really cool. Uh, But as always, I appreciate you guys listening and until next week, play good and run pure.